0: It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, well, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. Oh, Mrs. Oh, Mrs. How you doing? Doing good. How are you?
1: I didn't know you was gonna be on video. I should have been on video. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Okay, I'm on video.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just got inside the car because I'm, um, I was like, let me just go ahead and do this in the car because I have a board meeting at 6 30, so oh. I'll already be on the way downtown. Okay,
1: no, 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 that's good. Um, hold up. Okay. Yeah, so you see, there me. we go. There we go. I was like, I don't have no makeup on, I don't have no brows. Listen, I don't have nothing on either. <laughs> but you fly, so it don't matter. <laughs> Just a little behind the scenes pre code switch chatter between Vanity and I. Hey everyone, welcome back to Miked Up, a Charleston, South Carolina based unapologetic podcast about local activism. I'm your host, Mika Gadston. On today's episode, I chat with my friend and fellow activist. Vanity Dieterville. Um, Vanity is a woman I respect and revere immensely. She's well known here in Charleston and if my opinion means anything, she's sometimes overlooked and and I think she's way underpaid. (laughs) Um, I think her voice deserves to be elevated as much as possible. I I think there's a a brilliance to what she offers our community here in the Lowcountry. So enjoy this interview between Vanity and myself, get to know her and her work, and I'll catch you on the other side. So, all right, welcome, Vanity. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm looking, I was looking forward to speaking with you for quite a long time, Uh, ever since beginning the podcast. It's been very important for me to make sure I include voices from so many different, um, Activist here in in Charleston, but uh, I really wanted to speak with you because I have just been an admirer of your work, um, a fan, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, and I think I said this to you before, um, and in on one on one, I really think that your voice needs to be elevated. Um, I think that you have a lot to offer, and I am glad to see that you are being showcased. But um. First and foremost, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, like who okay. you are?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so again, my name is Vanity Reed, Cedarville. Um, I'm a native of Charleston, South Carolina, um, so I'm a Ben-Yeah. Um <laughs> And I graduated high school from here, Academic Magnet, um, and now I'm in college for political science at the College of Charleston. Um, I am a a, a poet. Um, and uh, an LGBTQ advocate um, and a transgender activist. Um, I have been uh, passionate about housing and food insecurity as it has been something that has affected me in the past um, when I was down and out. Um, And I have also been passionate about showcasing struggle through the arts Um, one thing that I did was, uh, display my life story and my wish and my journey to transition, um, up to this point through a play which was showcased in last year's Moja Arts Festival, um, and was a play, um, the storyline of the first of its kind featured for Moja, and so I was really happy to break ground for that, um, but I'm just, you know, all, all around a, a passionate person um, I'm for the people um, I'm about the glitz and glam but I'm also about the uh, impactful groundwork
1: yeah I think that the, I think um I can really tell that yeah I think the first impression I had of you was definitely um the glam but I but I but after hearing you speak I, I knew there was so much more there and learning more about that play that you wrote um, which was the first of its kind that I saw uh, that I've seen, rather um, featured in that in that event. Um, so let me ask you this: um, right now, I know you're passionate about the people. Well, what's really driving you? I know you mentioned just now a number of causes that you're you're championing. Well, what are you really passionate about right now? Mm.
0: So right now, I think what I've been really passionate about is educating my people. Um, my people my people my uh, people are going to face a lot um, um, when it comes to the new wave of living in the city of Charleston um, I am working with a former city councilman right now um, who has uh, done some intentional work around section 8 housing and at one point in time I lived in public housing um, on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. And I had family members who were born and raised and lived on the peninsula. And one thing I like to, for people to realize, is if you're born into a certain lifestyle, if you're born into a certain level of poverty, there is, in this area of town, in this region of the southeast, in this southern state, um, a small likelihood of elevating yourself from what you were born into into a different, um, tax bracket or, or lifestyle, if you will. There is, um, there's limited mobility when it comes to people of color born into certain status. Um, and so when I look at kids that I grew up with in, neighboring communities, um, I see where, you know, our past Uh, diverged, whether it be school or involvement, I consider myself blessed. Even though I went through some hardships, it could have been much harder. So I'm passionate about educating the people as to how policy works, and how the city government works, and and what their plans are as far as seeing us in the mainstream life for for downtown, for midtown living. Um, uh, I am just I tell
1: people I have a multiplicity of identities, but the first thing that anybody ever sees when they see me is a black woman. Mm. I, yeah, I was actually um, going to ask you um, when you when you started to talk about what you are, who you were. I was going to ask what what, what uh, I guess which um, identity kind of drives you, and I think you and I have that in common. Um, it definitely, especially here in Charleston, with a, such a unique history in and around race. Um, I yeah. think yeah our race plays a, a major part into like who we are and into what kind of work we do um, yeah. so it sounds like um, and uh, it sounds like you're really focusing on a hot button issue we've seen it in the Post and Courier we've seen it reported uh, even nationally about the, the cost of living here um, yeah. housing crises, crises I've seen them everywhere from the the Bay on the West Coast to mm-hmm. here and, it, and um, so I, I feel like a lot of Americans are struggling, but specifically here in Charleston, because it's changed so much. And you can attest to that as someone who's been here, uh, so much change. So it's, it's great to hear that you're working with other partners. Uh, how have you been received uh, by the mainstream, by the gatekeepers here?
0: Um, surprisingly, I've been received very warm um, for the most part. And I think that's because, no one would expect a woman like me to be as passionate or forward on the issues as I am and I continue to say time after time that I want to carve a career pathway in areas where women like myself have not traditionally occupied spaces
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I'm very intentional and very meaningful in that statement because you know there there is a, a limited scope of ability when it comes to trans women, specifically trans women of color, and um, that usually leans towards sex working. Um, now, like I said, don't get me wrong, I love to be glitched up, slammed up and I, I love um, you know solidifying my image, but I am one to want to fall back on my intellect, not just my aesthetic. Um, So, I think involving and intruding in spaces that um, have been typically male-dominated, have been typically cisgender-dominated, is something that drives me with everything that I do. Um, So, I've been received warm when when I've been attending city council meetings, when I've been attending um, these public uh, uh, functions and convenings, because... I think a lot of times it's, it's a surprise factor to see me at so many of the same events. I've been told by, you know, mayoral candidates and, and congressional candidates that, you know, it seems as if they're being followed by me and it's just like, well, I could say the same thing, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that feels good to know that they understand that I mean to be in these spaces, just not by coincidence.
1: Right, I think I like the word you use. You uh, you called it intrusion. I, I love that. I love disruption in any form. I think people view disruption. They they hear the word and they don't really. Um, I don't think they internalize it the way I do. But I I I, I think. Um, so you know my story a little bit. Um, my daddy's from Wadmalaw. Mm-hmm. I'm from Jersey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I had to <laughs> I had to move I had to move down here and finish three years of high school my dad semi-retired and mm-hmm. um the when you were just telling me about um you know what you're working on and how you you, you take up space in these rooms that weren't typically uh designed for us what, what you what you hit on was something that's very near and dear to my heart which when I left Charleston back in the 90s in 1999 to go to college, mm-hmm. I always said, well, why aren't the Black people, like, why don't they take up space downtown? Like, why aren't they enjoying, you know, King Street, Market Street? Of course, tourists were there, but I never saw, like, how I did in New Jersey, New York, Philly. I yeah. never saw yeah. Black people just enjoying Charleston, and I almost felt like they felt, and I can't speak for Black people, but I, I almost felt like we, we don't feel we deserve or belong in these spaces. Um, and Charleston had, I think Charleston has some work to do in terms of c- creating inviting spaces, but I guess the work of the activists is to also demonstrate for us yeah. that, you know, like you're doing, like you, wherever you go, I'm like, okay, that's a cool joint. Okay. I can go to so one of the, one <laughs> of the, one of
0: the things that, um, plays a significant role is, the College of Charleston and MUSCs encroaching and, and their presence on the peninsula.
1: Mm. Very,
0: very heavy presence and very encroaching nature to historic and a lot of times historically neighborhoods of color. Um, we were asked as CFC students, um, just a couple weeks ago for the interim president, as it stands, of the College of Charleston, we were asked to give, come up and devise a list of questions for him that we felt were important and needed to be answered right now. And so one of my questions was, what can the college and the board of trustees do to ensure that they educate the, the average College of Charleston student as they stand in their privileged state, and I include myself in that statement, mm. what can they do to educate them about the knowledge of neighboring communities mm. and how the communities have been fractured and or the demographics have shifted due to the medical universities and the College of Charleston's presence. Because what people don't realize, I think, is that CSC over-enrolls a freshman class every year. Mm. But yet, still doesn't have housing to suffice the student population.
1: Wow, I and didn't so know that. What,
0: yeah, and so what happens is the college ends up partnering with the city to buy more property mm. to make for affordable, affordable mm-hmm. or luxury student housing. And so, um, property taxes around uh, native of communities begin to surge um, when. City or luxury developers have gained hold of certain properties for luxury or student living, um, and so I mean this was all this was all within Mayor Riley's um, tenure. Um, of course, a lot of this stuff, and people don't really pay attention to it. Yeah, um, I,
1: yeah, I um, don't don't I won't get you started on. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> uh, any man that stays in power for forty years, that hyper tenure is not good for anyone. And he set mm-hmm. in motion um, a lot of things that's really going to set generations of Charlestonians, black and white and poor, um, they're going to mm-hmm. set them back for generations. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're actually putting a magnifying glass on that. And I, I did not know that. I knew the campus, the campus footprint was growing, and I knew MUSC yeah. footprint was definitely growing, but didn't know it was. You know, it almost like they they create the problem and then. They are saying that they're creating solutions, but the solution is also another part of the problem in terms of creating more of that. Yeah, like tuition from when I was there
0: 2015, as opposed to now, increased a few thousand dollars. Right. Um, and it's a fact that they over-enroll freshman class, with the housing still does not suffice. Right. Like there is there is not enough housing physically.
1: Have you have you reached a point in your in your activism and your advocacy where when you speak an unpopular opinion about, let's say, someone as um, revered as former mayor, you know, the Charleston Mayor Riley? Do you have you ever gotten any pushback or have you had any opposition?
0: Um, so, yes, I have been told um, by certain offices that I work with um, that, you know, whenever we're making statements to be. Um, sure that we're not representing the office that I'm working with at the time in the official way, so that they don't seem as if they're endorsing. Um, like it was, I don't, I don't know if people knew, but the the media team for the College of Charleston is one that is of um very, very, very um strict. Um, leniency. Um, and I didn't know this, especially with the new president coming in. I, did, I would have thought that they would have been more on board with supporting initiatives. So the March for Our Lives event that just happened yes, um, with the Parkman shooting survivors, um, we were told by the College of Charleston media team that initially the Office of Sustainability was going to be, and the college was going to be, formally endorsing it. We were told that we could no longer formally endorse the event um, mm-hmm. by the interim president. Um,
1: Why? And
0: so That was our question. It was just like, you would think we would be gun ho for endorsing uh, gun safety laws. Mm-hmm. Um so it was a little bit trembling about the message that that sent. Um, yeah. And so, yes, I, I, you know, things that I've, that was the most recent, but I have definitely received pushback um, on things that I've spoken about. And it it just makes me dig deeper as to who the partnering agency of, of um, any offices or any initiative is just that, you know, I always encourage people, whatever, whatever initiative you you get a part of, find the true roots, the true origins, and the forces behind it, so yeah.
1: So, um, because you mentioned that event, and um, I definitely wanted to ask you more about that. So you were engaged. um, Tell me how you were uh, approached to participate in the March for Our Lives uh, event that took place last week. Like you said, it featured the Parkland, uh, some of the Parkland survivors, uh, both on stage and behind the scenes. Uh, prominent and lesser known names, but how did you get involved with that?
0: So actually, um, the event was uh, emailed to our office um, that I interned with during the semester and during the summertime. And um, we were, you know, given a synopsis of what the intention of the event would be. And so they told us that they would be looking for students um to introduce the students coming on. You know, a student to student rapport they felt was very necessary. And I jumped at the opportunity because I don't talk about it very often, but I was the victim of gun violence while in school in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm so sorry um, to hear that. Okay. No yeah, it was it was it was a traumatic experience. So it was something I definitely learned about um uh, or learned from, you know, uh uh with concern to campus safety and campus openness. And so one thing that I always questioned when I came back to Charleston was how very open and intertwined with downtown Charleston, the College of Charleston campus was. And it was almost very startling about where I witnessed gun violence, which was at an almost completely gated uh, private HBCU, And then I look at things like where I was in relation to the night of Emmanuel 9, which was a block away from it as it was happening unknowingly. And I look at how easy it is for anybody on campus just to walk on any building. And, you know, I get a little shaky at knowing what could be, at knowing what the possibilities could be if if something was disrupted in that way. And I don't say much about it, but I'm just like I can't be the only one with this on my radar. Like I just, poss- like physically can't be. Um, so I was, I had to bring that up in my statement, and I had to, I had to bring my 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 experience up in my statement because I felt like it was important for students to know that, you know, as college students, we have a target on us right. from those who don't have our experience. A lot of times, we should be mindful. Of the privilege of being on this campus, of the things that the campus offers us. Um, but we should also be mindful of the gaps of safety um, that we have. And so that's how I became a part of that. My colleague Bianca La Paz opened the ceremony with Mayor Tecklenburg and I closed the ceremony.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, I, did, I wasn't able to view much coverage from it, um, but I, I knew you were an integral part and I saw you in the audience with several photographs so let me ask you this um, what are your takeaways from uh, like involving now that, that, that was a major uh, organization So yeah. and, I'm, and you've worked with major organizations before so I'm not saying you're a novice but what were your takeaways from because I know it was mixed reviews as to the Parkland kids coming um, I love you so I would have supported you no matter what but I know mm-hmm. a lot of my other friends and myself um, have mixed feelings just about March for Our Lives in general? So
0: I, well, one thing I'm proud of is to know that it is a nonpartisan event. Um, and so they aren't affiliated. They haven't received any, any endorsement from any, you know, it's, I'm like, okay, let's keep the parties out of it. Because just as one of the young men said, plainly, we fight for causes that are human that affect human that are common sense not for party causes not for partisan causes that's what we should be fighting for and so he was laying out the facts you know people kept asking why South Carolina hasn't implemented red uh red flag policy why we haven't implemented certain um gun safety laws like 15 other states have and I'm sitting in the uh, in the in the, the audience saying plainly, I'm just like, it's because of funding, it's because of endorsement, it's because somebody's paying back a debt. And then he starts to explain explicitly how the, the GOP continues to block CDC research on gun safety um, because it would go against their endorsements, their sponsors. I said, y'all don't realize that right now we have corporation in our highest office. Absolutely. It's not just corporation writing the laws, but that's how it's been for a long time. The corporations write the laws. I said, he's not changing these laws because he has debts to the NRA. He received $50 million from them. So he has to do what they say for a while. Mm -hmm. They hold that chunk in his say. I'm just like, this is how this works. And I also have been looking at that as a guiding path for my career. And I'm, I'm thinking rather than becoming a politician, lobbying for causes seems to be where me and a young a lot of other young adults have been uh finding our cause. These kids were 17, 18, 19, 20. I was worried at 17 years old, I'm trying to figure out what I was doing at 17. <laughs> I at 17 years old, I was worried about the next house party
1: like <laughs> Right. No, no, they they are like whenever they open their mouths, I'm always like slack jawed because it's like, damn, I was worried about yeah. getting a touch up in my hair, Right, right. And so I was just like, <laughs>
0: it really, it really made me like, okay, if you say you're going to reprioritize, reprioritize. Because these kids face a national, like a modern day history tragedy, a massacre in North American history is what they experienced. Mm-hmm. What some of them lost friends to right next to them and what they survived through, and they have turned this into a driving force for a calling in their life, and that's what activism is, that's what being an advocate is, you you, you act on something passionate that has affected you deeply, heavily, um, and so it inspired me to speak with them, to be in the same space right next to them, to shake hands and hug all of them, um, it, it felt amazing and it also felt amazing to know that they came to meet the family of the Eman- the families of the Emmanuel Nine. It was you know, they had intention about what they did. Charleston just didn't happen to be a spot where they went. There was reason as to why they came here. And you know, it was there's a lot of background as to why the Emmanuel Nine happened. You know, um, people still don't know that Reverend Pinckney was a senator um, along who who and whose place Marlon Kempson um, uh, continued the work, but he was vital in implementing the body cam legis- legislation, and so he was a target um, for that very reason. Um, and I I was just like that is how you know that policy change is that heavy, especially in a state like this.
1: Right, right. I think. Um your perspective is is a little bit more nuanced than uh, than I I actually anticipated. Not that you know just just didn't know what you would take away from the event. Um, a lot of folks who I think I've asked, well, how was the event? Uh, what did you take away from it? It was more about the the fanfare and meeting the kids and all of that but yeah but I hear you what you're saying is that you know um and what they do what they I will have to give the kids a lot of credit what they do continuously is outline like you said um how policy influences where we are right now in terms of our laws and um they're encouraging civic engagement so well I'm happy you participated in that um in that event I'm glad that your voice was there um, I'll ask you one more question before I let you go, or just um, I just want to ask, like, just in terms of like, what do you, what would you want to tell Charleston about? I feel like there's a wave of new voices coming. Um, this is not me. This not me tooting my own horn, but I will say that I am doing. I want to welcome and usher in. Oh, you are doing it. <laughs> no, uh, but but um, yeah, I'm a little reckless though. I I can afford it. To- <laughs> I, yeah, but I and you—you're you're gonna be you and Naomi and so many others. You all are just the brain. I'm the heart and the and you know the whatever. But what what would you tell Charleston about this new wave of, of voices coming through? What should they what should they be prepared for? Mm. Um. Oh, <laughs> they should be prepared for
0: um. Voices speaking for populations that have not been spoken for for a while. Um, One thing that I take huge pride in is, like I said, all the multiplicities, but I understand which ones of my identity are at the forefront. And so being a transgender woman um, and in these political spaces for South Carolina, I understand Charleston is like the blue patch for a red state, but i i'm I'm in a lot of uh, a lot of right leaning spaces um, like I'm, I'm a part of student legislature, and so in the fall I'll be at in chambers again at fall session, um, but I am around a lot of young conservative minds um, and so being who i am in these spaces is really in itself shaking the table let alone me speaking on anything for me being in these spaces is causing enough discomfort um but that is that is on the expressional side of my identity my birthright side the black person who i am um the geechee person that i am who I embrace myself to be. I am speaking for lots of yeechee people who have never acquired the language and the education that it took to be in these circles. Um, You know, I take pride in the ability to code switch among different communities um, because I feel like it's a gift um, and I feel like it helps me travel safely through multiple circles. I feel like, yeah, Charleston just has to be mindful of the children of, of marginalized communities, of the children of historically marginalized and oppressed, um, oppressed communities, because it's, it's... The old mentality is dying, slowly but surely, but I mean that in a physical sense also. No, like, wow. you're dying off. Um, mm-hmm. And so the only option left is to replace these stakeholders. Um, And so the children of real people affected by real issues are the ones stepping up um, to bring noise to the cause. Um, They just need to be mindful that, um, yeah, millennials are coming of age.
1: (laughs) Right. So, yeah. yeah. I think that there's a shift going on. And I know Charleston's a blue, like you said, a blue patch. Um, but I do feel like there's a shift and the voices that are going to be featured are going to look like a lot like you going to look a lot just unapologetic mm-hmm. you know f- carefree and it's going to come I hope I hope Geechee comes and just resurges and the Geechee oh, I would
0: love it I would um, absolutely love it
1: but um, yeah well I appreciate what you do Um, I appreciate just and I really mean that I know people say that every day I really do appreciate what you do and if there's you know, I look forward to the moment where, you know, I I see you lifted up even more and more for what you do. Um, and I want you to take care of yourself. <laughs> um, I'm talking to you like I'm on the phone, but just take care <laughs> of yourself. But I, I really do it because it's, it's really getting, it's going to get very, it's going to get hard in Charleston because the, the yeah. push for change is going to, the you know butt up against the you know the status quo. So thank you for all you do. Thank you
0: for allowing us a platform and a voice because you do it so effectively. Um, and so yeah, I appreciate all that you do. I appreciate you for the people you've exposed me to. Um, yeah, I couldn't thank you enough.
1: Oh, anytime. So thank you and have a great board meeting. Thank you. I'll text thank you. you. All right. (laughs) Bye. Once more, I'd like to thank my friend Vanity for chatting with me via video conference and for speaking truth to power on so many issues facing folks here in the Low Country. Thank you, Vanity. Also, if you like a special behind the scenes look at this interview, consider supporting this podcast via Patreon. You can find us on that platform at patreon.com forward slash. C-H-S-A-C-T-N-E-T. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter just to keep up with our events that we have going on each month or each week. And also, please mark your calendars. We have our upcoming Enough Yoga event led by my talented friends, Kate and Kanae. It's a revolutionary event where we are going to strip down the ideas of self-care and make it very accessible to all of Charleston. So we'd like to see you on August 19th at the Charleston Porthouse at 10 a.m. Admission is $10. For more information, you can find out on Facebook or just reach out to me directly. We also have our upcoming Journey for Justice. Remember, we're traveling to Montgomery, Alabama to visit the Memorial for Peace and Justice, also known as the Lynching Museum. The deadline to pay for that trip is approaching very fast. So please, again, reach out to me directly if you need details on how to pay for your trip. Until next time, guys, thank you so much for your support. Uh, Thank you for listening. And yeah, we'll see you next episode. Take care.